This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Today, the committee will consider the nominations of three career foreign service officers to serve as ambassadors to Benin, Gambia, and Equatorial Guinea. Having presided over the confirmation hearings for the predecessors of each of these of today's nominees, uh, I've enjoyed watching the progress made in these countries over the course of the past several years and look forward to see how today's nominees will build on that progress. Benin underwent a peaceful transition to presidential power in 2016 when the former president stepped down after his two terms of office were completed. Implementation of the second Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact centered on the strengthening of electric power, the electric power sector began in June of last year and the International Monetary Fund projects that Benin's GDP will grow to reach 6% in 2018, up from 5.6% in 2017. That's something we can all envy, isn't it? <laughs> the Gambia has made uh, considerable, or uh, let me just say also Benin continues to face challenges, however, given the low levels of development and high rates of poverty, reflecting Benin's undiversified economy and the fact that it relies on regional exports. Uh, the Gambia has made considerable progress since we last uh, sent an ambassador there, uh, with the long-serving president ultimately stepping down after losing an election uh, in 2016. Since then, governance and human rights have improved inside the Gambia, and relations between the countries and the international community have improved significantly. These actions paved the way for the previously suspended MCC threshold program to be finalized in December of last year, and for the reinstatement of AGOA benefits uh, for the Gambia, both of which will help alleviate poverty there. Equatorial Guinea is ruled uh, by the longest serving leader in Africa. His administration is charged with large-scale corruption and nepotism. The country's economy relies heavily on oil and gas exports and has been negatively impacted by global oil prices. Oil reserves there are likely to be exhausted by 2030, and Equatorial Guinea's economy will be, need to be diversified, obviously, before then. Uh, I had a chance to meet with each of today's nominees before this hearing. I look forward to hearing from them today about how they will approach the challenges that are before them. With that, uh, I'd like to recognize uh, the distinguished ranking member, Senator Booker, for opening comments. Um, thank you. And if it, it, uh, witnesses would indulge me uh, for a moment, this may be my last hearing uh, with Senator Flake where I, I get to co-chair, I'm sorry, to be the ranking uh, to his chairmanship of this uh, really important um, subcommittee. Uh, I, I've been very blessed, and I'd like just to say this for the record, um, not just by my friendship with Senator Flake, but by on issues of Africa, to be able to witness him, to learn from him, uh, to travel with him. Um, he's an extraordinary leader when it comes to a continent that, that America has so much interest in, uh, not just uh, our resources or our security, but also our eyes towards the beauty and the wonder of humanity. Um, there is a uh, saying I say all the time, that before you tell me about your religion, first show it to me and how you treat other people. Uh, Jeff Flake is one of those people who lives his values. Um, I, uh, you know, he's one of those folks that policy-wise, we may not agree all the time, but the values uh, that he exhibits are not just things I agree with, you, with him on, uh, they're actually things I look up to. And so I wanna thank the chairman for being such a great partner uh, in this cycle, in this uh, Congress, rather. Um, uh, you have really enriched my life and made me a better senator, and I hope uh, that I can carry on, help carry on the mantle of keeping the Senate focused on the, this critically important continent. Um, Thank you, you're very kind. Yes, yes. 
I would normally say your time is up, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the applause from the witnesses don't count because they're just trying to get confirmed, but everybody else who applauded, thank you very much. No, joking. To the witnesses there, um, I, career foreign service people do not get thanked enough. Uh, in my short time as a senator, I have been blown away by the people I've met out there doing such righteous work and really representing our country, our country's interests. And again, I think Senator Flake would agree with the interest of humanity in such a brilliant way. And the witnesses we have before us are foreign service officers who've just served in every imaginable corner of the world. I mean, just looking at some of the nations you all have served in from Beijing, Iraq, Nepal, Uganda, many, many other places. Um, I, I think that all of us in the United States Senate owe you a debt and, and just thank you for what you've done. Uh, you've developed specialties as well that are critically important to, to America's agenda. Uh, you're expert managers and negotiators um, and are invaluable. Uh, and the fact that you are sitting here again, uh, uh, putting yourself forward uh, for very difficult uh, posts is yet another tribute to the kind of character that you represent. Uh, and truly you are patriots that represent the best of who we are as a nation and I'm grateful for that. Um, you're all going, as you all know, and, and much better than I do, uh, to countries that are real priorities for us in Africa. They represent a lot of uh, a variety of challenges. Uh, Equatorial um, Guinea, for example, exhibits characteristics of the, that resource curse that all of us know about or, or have studied. Um, and your work here uh, to deal with how these extractive industries fail to reach citizens uh, and often perpetuates co corruption and unaccountable governance is critical. Identifying ways to speak out forcefully on issues of human rights, on democracy development, along with supporting American commercial interests are, are absolutely critical. Uh, the Gambia has recently undergone a dramatic transformation, one that has put in me a lot of hope, frankly. Um, in early 2017, we saw a powerful response from that region. Um, um, that really helps uh, to, to promote and restore democracy in Gambia after the country's long-term authoritarian leader uh, refused to vacate a seat after losing elections. Um, President Barrow has overseen significant improvements in his country's governance and human rights coalitions and has drawn praise, uh, as I'm giving him here, for his efforts to undercover abuses committed uh, uh, under the Jame regime. Uh, the transition, however, is still nascent, and we've often seen how these things can go south and we have to figure out ways to support and keep uh, the changes and reforms on track. Benin's government, uh, governance has a record that is really positive. Um, it's a bright spot in, in this uh, triumvirate that's before us right now. Um, uh, democratic institutions and public policy performance remain in need of our support, and again, we could be critical in helping uh, to support uh, local leaders there. Corruption is still a key challenge, as we know. Um, while President Talon's government has made uh, reforms, a key policy plank, the governance has drawn criticism for what uh, critics view as efforts to curtail freedom of uh, expression and centralize power. So there are real challenges in these countries and this leadership before me, before us today, uh, uh, can help us to seize huge opportunities. Your expertise uh, can make a difference for generations to come. Um, uh, in my travels in the region, uh, I've been struck by the resilience, the generosity, the courage, frankly, the beauty of the people uh, that I've met in that region. Uh, it will be up to you to help us to make sure that we capitalize on, on, on the promise and the hope that's there and also serve the, the, the glorious humanity uh, in each of those nations. Uh, if confirmed, I hope that you will lend the hand uh, um, 
lend a hand of the United States to encourage uh, those, our counterparts in those countries to overcome their divisions, build accountable institutions, harness economic opportunities, and protect and provide uh, for the most vulnerable. Uh, I ask this often, but if, uh, please, if you're confirmed, stay in communications with us, uh, with our staffs, uh, who actually do the hard work <laughs> in the Senate, uh, and let us know the challenges you face, as well as how we might best help you in your critical missions. So I look forward to hearing your testimonies today, but it's not going to be a rough hearing uh, for any of you, and I'm just grateful, uh, truly, for your uh, lifetimes of service. Thank you, Senator Booker, and thanks for the kind words, and it has been a pure pleasure uh, to work with you over the past two years. And, um, you know, I've been in Congress, the House, and the Senate uh, for 18 years, all 18 of those years uh, serving on the Africa Subcommittee in the House and now in the Senate, and uh, being able to chair the committee and to be able to meet so many uh, wonderful Foreign Service officers who have provided such generous service their entire lives for, in many cases, uh, and dedicated their lives to this work. Um, and it's been so wonderful. With you know 54 countries in Africa, we have a lot of opportunities to see uh, so many uh, go and serve, and almost exclusively uh, career Foreign Service officers. So I so much appreciate your willingness to serve and your families as well, the sacrifices uh, that they make. Uh, often these are difficult posts, sometimes dangerous posts, and it is appreciated. So thank you all. Uh, Patricia Mahoney has been nominated to serve as uh, Ambassador to the Republic of Benin. Previous experience includes several years at the U.S. Embassy in Uganda, as well as postings at Foggy Bottom and the National Security Council. Carl uh, uh, Pascal has been uh, nominated to serve as Ambassador to the Gambia. His Africa-related experience includes serving as Director of the Office of Central African Affairs at Foggy Bottom and advising the Commander of Special Operations Command, Africa, on foreign policy matters. <coughs> Susan Stevenson has been uh, nominated to serve as Ambassador to Equatorial Guinea, uh, currently the State Department's Principal Deputy Secretary for Public Affairs. All three of the nominees today, as I mentioned, are career public service officers, and uh, I want to extend the thanks of the committee uh, for your work and your willingness to make sacrifices. Uh, please introduce any family members uh, that you have and we'll go to Ms. Mahoney. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, ranking member, and distinguished members of the committee, I'm honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the next ambassador to the Republic of Benin. I'm grateful for the confidence the President and Secretary of State Pompeo have shown in me, and I wish to thank the members of the committee for the opportunity to testify today. I'd also like to thank my children, Brian, who's a submariner serving with the US Navy, Kevin, a US Army veteran now at George Mason University, and Honora, who is in Indonesia right now training to be a Peace Corps volunteer. Their patience, support, and good humor have sustained me throughout my career. Benin stands out as one of our most steadfast partners in a region increasingly important to our strategic and economic interests but it's also one of the poorest. Improving the prospects and well-being of its people is vital to ensuring that Benin continues on a democratic, tolerant, and stable path, and the United States has proven a reliable partner in helping Benin to do so. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and other members of Congress and staff to advance U.S. policy interests, including democracy and human rights, economic prosperity, and regional peace and security. 
a multi-party democracy since 1991, Benin has built a tradition of peaceful transition of power across six presidential elections, and is proud of its long tradition of religious tolerance. If confirmed, I will work with the government of Benin in its efforts to increase the transparency and effectiveness of government systems, including a well-functioning, independent, and fair judicial system. I will also work with the government of Benin, which was upgraded to tier two in the 2018 Trafficking in Persons Report, to confront all forms of human trafficking. The United States has a modest but positive trade balance with Benin. If confirmed, I will work to strengthen mutually beneficial trade and investment ties between our two countries. Improving the well-being of a growing population is crucial in a country in which nearly 40% of the population lives below the poverty line. If confirmed, I will do my utmost working with our embassy, Congress, and US agencies to continue to support Benin in creating the conditions necessary to move beyond aid and to achieve self-sustaining economic growth. With respect to regional security, our shared values are reflected in Benin's commitment to stand with its neighbors, to confront the horrors of Boko Haram and ISIS West Africa, and in its contribution of troops and police to United Nations peacekeeping efforts. Benin is also making strides in preventing the spread of, excuse me, the spread of violent extremism by building community resilience along vulnerable border regions. Our military and law enforcement cooperation advance Benin's ability to counter the spread of terrorism and transnational crime across the Gulf of Guinea and the borders of West Africa. Through continued cooperation, we can help the nation and the people of Benin reach their full potential and advance our partnership on peace and security goals. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will work to deepen our bilateral ties, advance US interests, and ensure the safety of American citizens in Benin. Thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Chairman, to appear today. I'd be pleased to take any questions. Thank you, Mr. Pascal. Mr. Chairman, ranking member, other distinguished members of the committee, I'm honored to hear, appear before you today, and I'm deeply grateful for the trust and confidence that President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo have placed in me as the President's nominee to be the next ambassador to the Republic of the Gambia. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you, other members of Congress, and your staffs to advance our nation's national security and foreign policy interests. I've had the privilege to serve our nation for over 27 years as a career foreign service officer around the world and here in our nation's capital. Such a career in service, constantly on the move, furthering our nation's national security objectives would have been much, much more difficult without the love and support of my family. My wife and best friend, Jane Ellen, is a foreign service officer with USAID and a retired US Army colonel with more than 24 years of service in uniform, including multiple combat zone deployments. I'm the proud father of two outstanding young men I cannot overstate the enormity of their sacrifices over the course of my career. Far too many months, years, birthdays, and holidays spent apart. CJ and William, thank you. My sister Kathy McCluskey and brother Stephen Paschal and his son Walker made the trip from North Carolina with my parents, Richard Paschal Jr. and Patricia Norris Paschal. Mom and, and Dad. Can all your you. family members like identify themselves? The two guys behind sure. you barely smiled for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, the dude was just like on the re Senate record was just complimenting you. There we go. <laughs> Can't even smile for us. <laughs> Senator, I'm sure they're going to point out that transcript with Cape Pride. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it all worth it. They're right there. And there were other family members you mentioned? Are they? There. Sister, nephew Walker, 
mother Patricia Pascal, father Richard Pascal, and my younger brother Stephen. I haven't gotten to him yet. The young one did <laughs> smile, for the record. He, he, he did smile. But anyway. Mama, Dad, thank you for teaching me about unconditional love, the need for compassion and compromise, the importance of education and service, and the value of hard work. This is a particularly momentous time in the Gambia's history, one that presents an opportunity to expand further and strengthen the growing community of African democracies. The Gambian people voted out the autocratic former president, though the results were only ensured by the willingness of the democracies and the economic community of West African states to intervene when the defeated president rejected the electoral results. Today, the Gambia, with the support of the international community, is working to create a truly democratic state operating under the rule of law with respect for human rights and investing in its greatest resource, its people. President Adama Barrow has ushered in a new era of openness and transparency and demonstrated dedication to the democratization of his country. In one of his early acts, President Barrow released all political prisoners. The Gambia has begun a process to account for the abuses of the past, launching a Truth, Reconciliation, and Reparations Commission. A commission of inquiry is exploring the financial crimes committed under the previous president's rule. The National Assembly passed legislation to create a new National Human Rights Commission. The judiciary now operates largely independently, and arbitrary arrests and detentions have been, for the most part, though not completely, eliminated. Efforts are underway to reform the framework that underpins the business environment to improve the business climate. These steps are reflections of the will of the people of the Gambia, and they underscore an important point. The Gambian people admire America and American values such as freedom, democracy, rule of law, respect for human rights, promotion of education, and entrepreneurialism. While the trajectory of these objectives is a significant positive departure from previous troubling trends, the Gambia is really just at the beginning of what will be a long road to improvement of conditions in the country. The government faces significant challenges in developing and implementing reforms. And the citizenry, enthusiastic for change after two decades of declining governance and economic performance, are desperate for results. In this environment, the United States must speak forcefully and consistently in support of positive changes, provide targeted expertise and assistance to develop capacity in a range of areas, and work closely with like-minded countries interested in helping the Gambia to fulfill its promise. International donors must share this burden, be nimble to respond to emerging needs, flexible given the significant capacity limitations in the country, and well-coordinated to ensure no duplication of or gaps in our collective efforts. If confirmed, I pledge to persistently pursue the safety and security of our embassy team and of private American citizens, and to work with the government and entrepreneurs of the Gambia to expand opportunities for US businesses and for Gambian businesses to take advantage of the reinstated eligibility under the African Growth and Opportunity Act. Among the great Americans making a difference every day to the people of the Gambia are Peace Corps volunteers who touch lives in ways that most of us can only dream of at the individual level. If confirmed, I will seek every opportunity to support the work of our Peace Corps volunteers. It's important the United States and other partners work to support the professionalization of the Gambian security services to help better ensure that respect for fundamental human rights is the norm. Security service members who honorably wear the uniform and serve the people will bolster democracy and rule of law, be a force for stability in the region and beyond, and help ensure that the country never again descends to a state of repression. If confirmed, it will be a privilege to lead U.S. efforts to help the government and people of the Gambia fulfill their ambitious agenda for peace and prosperity. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for the opportunity to appear before you today. I'd be honored to respond to your questions. Thank you, Ms. Stevens. Thank you very much, Senator Flake, Senator Booker, and Senator Kane. It is a great honor to be before you as the nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Equatorial Guinea.
I'm grateful for the confidence that the President and the Secretary of State have placed in me with this nomination, and if confirmed, I will do my best to uphold this trust and promote U.S. national interests. I'm very pleased that my son Hugo could be with me today. His sisters, Hadley and Willa, are not in the state and could not join us, but like his two sisters, Hugo was born overseas and spent over half his life in Asia. This is a career that involves and impacts the entire family. Over the past 26 years, I've been privileged to represent the United States in Thailand, in Mexico, and in China, as well as through short-term stints in the Middle East and in Africa. I've seen firsthand the impact the United States can have on people around the world. I've seen the importance of the rule of law, good governance, and transparency. While serving as Consul General in Northern Thailand, I'm proud to have led U.S. efforts to promote the creative economy, to strengthen local industry, and to expand the market for U.S. products. And while assisting the sizable refugee communities in Northern Thailand, I saw firsthand how U.S. leadership shifted the government of Myanmar to open to the world. In China, I was part of the interagency dialogue between our two countries to tackle challenges and emphasize areas of common interest. The experience showed me that despite disagreements, diplomacy can further our national interests without sacrificing our values. Senators, if confirmed, I look forward to working with you, unfortunately not with you, Senator Flake, but we're honored to be here during what might be your last hearing, um, and the honorable members of the committee to advance U.S. interests in Equatorial Guinea. Our policy priorities there are to strengthen our commercial ties, promote democracy, improve respect for human rights and civil liberties, and increase the economic, health, and educational opportunities for all of its citizens. As I have seen through my work in China and on Myanmar and North Korea, countries are more stable and prosperous when they enfranchise their people. Equatorial Guinea, with a population of about one million, is ostensibly a multi-party constitutional republic, but as you have said, there has been only one president since 1979. The ruling party controls all but one seat of the Chamber of Deputies and all but one seat in the Senate. Opposition political parties face legal restrictions and opposition leaders have faced torture, harassment, arrest, and worse. Equatorial Guinea has been the third largest producer of oil in Sub-Sahara Africa and enjoys one of the highest per capita income rates in the continent. But despite this, much of the population lives below poverty level and official corruption remains rampant. If confirmed, I will encourage the country's leadership to respect human rights and the rule of law, as has my predecessor. I will urge government leaders to enable multi-party democracy and a strong civil society. And I will stress that promoting transparency and ending corruption are key to Equatorial Guinea's long-term growth and stability and critical to our commercial ties. The United States is the largest trading partner of the country. American oil and gas companies have invested more than $14 billion since the 1990s. The United States Embassy has played a critical role in facilitating trade and promoting U.S. investors in the country. American oil companies are Equatorial Guinea's largest investors, and they have led hydrocarbon exploration and extraction. Equatorial Guinea imported nearly $112 million worth of U.S. goods in 2017, and if confirmed, I will continue to work to protect the commercial interests of U.S. companies invested in Equatorial Guinea and improve the investment climate for other U.S. businesses, as will be more important with the decline of hydrocarbon reserves. Senator Flake, Senator Brooker, and Senator Kane, while our bilateral dialogue and engagement respects Equatorial Guinea's sovereignty and culture, 
we must be frank with our concerns. If confirmed, I will promote the political, economic, and social development of the country beyond its first 50 years of independence, which it celebrated just last month. And if confirmed, no goal will be more important to me than protecting the lives, interests, and welfare of American citizens living in the country and traveling to Equatorial Guinea. I promise to clo work closely with you and the members of the committee in this endeavor. I thank you for the opportunity to testify today, and we look forward to taking your questions. Thank you. Thank you all. Ms. Mahoney, Benin is uh, obviously buffeted by anything that happens in Nigeria next door, heavily reliant on cross-border trade. Political situation in Nigeria often affects Benin. Uh, with elections coming up in Nigeria soon, uh, what uh, do we need to be concerned about uh, in the neighborhood? Thank you for the question, Senator. As you said, uh, Benin is highly dependent upon regional trade, especially from its larger neighbor, Nigeria. Uh, that is perhaps a, uh, not necessarily a problem. It also presents an opportunity because it offers a very, very large market for some of the, the products that Benin does develop, uh, especially if they are able to, to provide some value added to those products. So I think that as the elections approach in Nigeria, it's something that we will be watching very, very closely because any kinds of, uh, any kinds of elements of, uh, of trouble that may pass through Nigeria will also definitely affect Benin. And uh, we want to be sure that they are in a position to, um, to respond to that, to that possibility. What, uh, if anything, can we do here to uh, push Benin to take better advantage of AGOA, the opportunities that exist there? What will you be pushing for there as ambassador, if you're confirmed? So right now, uh, it, there, companies in Benin have taken very limited advantage of uh, the AGOA benefits. And if confirmed, I would like to encourage companies in Benin to take greater advantage of the, the benefits that AGOA can provide. We have some technical assistance that's available to interested companies that would uh, sharpen their ability and improve their ability to compete in those markets and to, to, uh, to take advantage of those benefits. Uh, we also have assistance available to help the government prepare a strategy to take advantage of AGOA benefits as well. Mm -hmm. And so if confirmed, I would build on the efforts that um, our embassy has already undertaken to, to improve the, uh, the ability of the government of Benin to take advantage of these AGOA benefits and to really kind of benefit from the increased prosperity that that can bring. Well, thank you. Now, Mr. Pascoe, you said in my office that uh, decades of mismanagement uh, in the Gambia can't be turned around on a dime. Uh, what has uh, President Barrow done right and what has he done wrong? Where does he need to, to move to? to make sure that uh, there's improvement, not sliding the other way. Yeah, Senator, thanks. That's a, a great opportunity to, to underscore uh, the importance of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Reparations Commission uh, accounting for the, for the abuses of the past will be important to, to shine a bright light in some dark corners. Uh, it'll be very important for the people of the Gambia to be able to uh, come back together and to, uh, to walk down that long road together. Uh, from a wide range of issues, uh, including the creation of the National Human Rights Commission, 
the uh, Commission of Inquiry into the Financial Crimes, um, all of those uh, efforts are, are positive. There are, I'm not sure that I would say that there are things that have been done wrong per se at this point in time. I think a lot of the, the challenge that I have heard briefed to me over the past uh, few months is, is one of, of limited capacity. Uh, there seems to have been a fairly dramatic underinvestment in the capacity of government ministries and agencies to provide services, deliver services to the people, and that is going to be a long road uh, for the country. They are saddled with tremendous debt that they inherited um, from, uh, from the previous administration. And uh, that has made it very, very difficult, it constrained uh, some of their freedom of movement on the economic front. The right words are being said, the right plans are being made, the right strategies are being offered. And now the real challenge, quite frankly, Senator, is, is Im implementing those plans and strategies to, to make forward progress. Thank you. Ms. Stevenson, uh, we talked about it in my office, and you mentioned here again that uh, their hydrocarbon reserves are going to be run out, run out at about 2030. Uh, what are they doing? Is there, is there public discussion in the briefings you've received so far about uh, how to bridge that gap? Uh, once they come to it, are they making the efforts they need to uh, to prepare for that eventuality? That's at what And what percentage is that of their overall revenue? Hydrocarbon industry dominates the economy of Equatorial Guinea. They present a very schizophrenic profile. Without the hydrocarbon industry, uh, the GDP would be dramatically lower. I would say, and obviously if confirmed I will know more, but what I have seen and heard in the briefings I've received is that the government hasn't taken adequate attention to the fact that these reserves are finite and that they don't have a diversified economy. Uh, the GDP has been shrinking for the past three years, which certainly has got their attention. Um, the bureaucratic red tape to establish businesses and to do business in Equatorial Guinea has caused multinationals to leave starting in December of 2015, which certainly should also catch the attention of the Equatorian government. You know, I certainly don't have a panacea, but we would be very willing to work with the government on public policy management and on diversification ideas to develop, for example, tourism. They've got lush resources on the mainland. Their timber industry could be managed more successfully and to really cramp down on corruption, which is affecting every level of the government and every aspect of society. So if confirmed, I would like to take advantage of what really is a window now to catch the seriousness of the economic challenge that faces the country. Uh, speaking of the, you mentioned logging or forestry there, they, what uh, is going on now in terms of our efforts to help them prevent illegal logging and the depletion of that resource? We are certainly working with them on capacity building, but there is corruption in that area and abuse in that area as well. Um, we're somewhat limited. We can't provide foreign assistance to the government of Equatorial Guinea. They're both too rich a country in terms of GDP per capita, uh, but also we're constrained. Um, so finan uh, foreign assistance is limited, but we're also constrained by their, their trafficking in persons ranking, which is tier three. Thank you. Senator Booker. Um, I'm gonna to defer to Senator Kane. Uh, thank you to the chairman and Senator Booker for letting me go first, and to congratulations to each of you. I want to echo the comments that Senator Booker made about uh, our chairman. Uh, Jeff Flake is a really good friend. We're really going to miss him. Um, I have people who ask me what I like about this guy, and I say, well, he's a decent values-focused person, but in, in terms of as a legislator, even though we're in different parties and don't always see eye to eye on policy, I say about this guy that if you can, get, if you convince him 
on the merits, he will stick with you regardless of what any poll or leader says. And, and what more can you ask of a colleague? Is the opportunity to convince him on the merits and have him stick with you? So I know we'll have more opportunities to talk, but uh, Senator Flake will really miss you. But let me just put a concern on the record. Sometimes we have these hearings and something has happened at the State Department that isn't really related to y'all, but this is our opportunity just to express a concern, so I'll do that and I have questions for each of you. Um, there's a recent decision to remove the subsection on reproductive rights from the Human Rights Reports section on women and also a reduction in reporting on issues affecting women and LGBTI individuals, including gender-based violence. This report should be a gold standard, um, a gold standard human rights report, and it is used not just by the United States, but by others, having vigorous reporting upon reproductive rights and uh, fair treatment of women is really important. Oxfam issued a report noting a reduction in 31% on reporting in on women's issues uh, in the 2017 report as compared to 2016, and it looks like that is going to be a continued trend. Uh, many domestic agencies use the information uh, in the Human Rights Report to make determinations on immigration and asylum cases, and many international organizations look to us as the authority on human rights reporting, including the reproductive rights, and then they use their resources, or they use our report to determine how to allocate their resources. 31 of us sent a letter recently to Secretary Pompeo asking that the reproductive rights section be restored. Um, I am heartened to see that the laws in uh, the countries that you have been nominated to represent um, have a good track record on reproductive rights issues. There, there's nobody that, can, that can't improve, including us, but generally the track records are positive. But there are issues such as early marriage and access to neonatal and maternal health care that remain in each of your nations. And I hope, even if we're not reporting as vigorously as we have in the past, I just will hope that you will take seriously the importance of advocating for uh, reproductive and all equality rights for women uh, in the societies of should you be confirmed. I'd like to ask uh, questions to each of you. So Ms. Mahoney, and loved hearing about your, your public service children, including a George Mason student. My wife teaches at George Mason. Um, the election, the recent election of, uh, of the independent candidate Patrice Talon in 2016 was determined to be free and fair by um, in uh, in international election observers. But he has soon, after taking uh, control or taking power, taken aim at democratic institutions to some degree, in addition to banning public sector strikes uh, he has taken steps to curtail freedom of expression, including shutting down media outlets that are uh, critical of him and imposing attacks on internet and social media use. As a U.S. ambassador, how will you uh, try to uh, promote freedom of expression in Benin? Thank you for the opportunity to address this very important question, Senator. Uh, as it stands right now, I believe that there's one publication which has been suspended. Uh, La Nouvelle Tribune, right now, its operations have been suspended. Um, this is an, a newspaper that I think was characterized by sometimes unfavorable coverage of the administration. Uh, Benin, in general, has a very vibrant and open press and, and a very vibrant and open civil society as well. And if confirmed, I will build on what the embassy in Cotonou is already doing to underscore and to stress at, in every engagement and at every opportunity the importance of freedom of expression. 
and to continue our programs, uh, which are uh, most vigorously used through the International Visitors Leadership Program, to train and professionalize uh, journalists, especially in the field of investigative journalism. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mr. Pascal, let me ask you uh, this question. Um, troops from ECOWAS were put into Gambia uh, as a military intervention to counter the previous leader's uh, effort to hold on to power in 2017. Uh, that mission, I think it's now called ECOMIG, remains in the Gambia. What are the pros and cons of the continued presence of these uh, ECOWAS troops in the Gambia, and should we be advocating that they stay for their withdrawal, or is this a situation that you think is in a, is in a good position on its own right now? Yeah, thank you, Senator. Uh, ECOWAS was instrumental, as you know, uh, uh, in the uh, transition and ensuring that the, the votes of the people were honored uh, and respected by uh, former President Jame. Uh, the introduction of ECOWAS forces was crucial to provide reassurance uh, to the population um, there are remain questions in mean, many Gambians' minds about the uh, about the security services based on uh, based on a history. I would be remiss if I did not point out that uh, the Gambia has long contributed troops to the UN peacekeeping mission in Darfur, and they have, uh, as far as I've been able to to, to learn, have always uh, performed honorably and admirably in the field. So there is a core of professionalism there. Uh, and as I noted in my opening remarks, uh, those who wear the uniform and serve honorably and serve the people uh, can be a force for good. The continuance of ECOMIG obviously is a decision that fundamentally rests with, uh, with uh, the government of the Gambia and the, and the ECOWAS uh, heads of state. I believe, at least insofar as, uh, as I've read and, and understand, they provide some stability um, during the continued transition period. Uh, we're, just, we're still under two years since President Barrow took office. Uh, and uh, they generally are viewed as, uh, as a stabilizing force. They're also taking part in the international efforts to provide some security sector reform support to, to the Gambia. So at, at present, I think on net, they continue to be a positive, uh, a positive presence. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pascal. And finally, to Ms. Stevenson, you dealt with this a little bit in your prepared testimony, your opening comments, but, but obviously um, there are significant issues of democracy and institutions and respect for those institutions. And, Equatorial Guinea, uh, the government showed no real interest in engaging in dialogue with political opposition, significant human rights abuses, um, security forces using excessive violence, deadly force and imposition of internal exile on political opposition members, fairly brutal prison conditions, harsh restrictions on civil society and civil liberties, widespread corruption, violence against women with impunity, restrictions on freedom of expression and freedom of the press and a litany of other concerns. Should you be confirmed, how will you try to use the power of the position to engage with civil society elements um, in Equatorial Guinea to strengthen them? Thank you, Senator. As you point out, it is going to be a challenging environment. I know that my predecessor is working very vigorously in engaging with civil society, and if confirmed, I would want to continue this. I would also want to show the government of Equatorial Guinea that it's in their own interest to have more representation to cultivate civil society, because the lack of enfranchisement actually affects their stability. They have been worried about the threat of coups. They have been, as recently as December 2017, uh, arrested over 40 people for plotting a coup. And and that shows that although the tenure of President Obiang has been quite long, it has not been smooth. And hopefully with this 
window of opportunity as the hydrocarbon industry is no longer the gravy train for the country, they will be able to reassess and choose what's right for their people. And if confirmed, I will work very dedicatedly on helping the government of Equatorial Guinea see that there are other choices and that opening up will actually help them, not harm them. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Chair. Thanks to Senator Booker. Uh, Ms. Stevenson, your son's name is Hugh? Hugo. Um, it's a little unorthodox, Hugo, but would you stand up for a second? Oh, my God. Sit down. Uh, um, I had have some, made his day. I had some really, really tough questions for you, uh, but now that I see you have Hugo, who has very intimidating stature and size, um, I'm going to hold back a little bit. Uh, um, it's good that you brought him, sat him in the front row. Um, I'm a big guy, but I, I would have a tough time. Um, uh, but what you said is really right. Uh, this is a post that often affect families very deeply, and uh, Hugo obviously uh, has uh, had a privilege of being uh, overseas, but it's also a sacrifice as well, and for all of you, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, Senator Kane, who just left, you know, he has to travel all the way from Virginia to get to uh, DC. It's real, real tough on him, uh, but your, your family really, uh, really does show that, and I, I just want to say thank you again. And so, Ms. Stevenson, uh, it's a tough balance. I, I literally, we were having a conversation with some of my colleagues today about Bahrain, about this balance between human rights issues uh, and strategic interests or economic interests and, and finding that right balance for our country that really does lead with our values is, is, is very difficult. And so I was, I was wondering, Equatorial Guinea, um, you mentioned that, that rightfully so, that the, that the United States has, has, uh, has a decent commercial interest in supporting American firms involved in, in the oil and gas uh, uh, sector. At the same time, uh, the Obiang uh, administration has just an abysmal human rights record, um, shameful, um, and has been accused of large-scale corruption, nepotism, uh, and really, uh, since the oil wealth of the 1990s, you've just seen that a lot of that bad behavior, uh, in my opinion, grow far more egregious. And so can you just give me some philosophical understanding and help really inform me about how, how you balance those interests uh, that will be, um, that are in conflict. We have to admit that there is a conflict there between those interests. And maybe you can give me an example of how, how we navigate that. I appreciate the question, because obviously this is a big uh, priority for the United States. Um, but it is an environment that will be very uh, difficult. As you've seen this year, Equatorial Guinea is a non permanent member of the UN Security Council. They are on the world stage. The president had interventions during the UN General Assembly in September. This is important to them, the international status. The being able to attract international investment is important to them. They had just announced pledges by US companies to look at investing a further $2.4 billion in the hydrocarbon industry. The fact that doing business in Equatorial Guinea is so difficult, the fact that there are human rights abuses that my predecessor, who is still in place, has spoken out very vigorously against, these are stains on the record of the government. As long as the oil is flowing, there is perhaps a perceived less urgency to address these issues. I'm hoping, uh, if confirmed, that I'll be able to use what is clearly a desire for international recognition um, to, as a lever to push the government 
to have actually enforce some of the laws that they have on the books and to be able to have real elections, which their new constitution in 2011 does call for. Now, according to that constitution, the president could actually theoretically stand again, but he has said that he doesn't want to stand again. So there could be a window of opportunity. I'm in a bright spot. We talked earlier about uh, the importance of reproductive health and LGBT issues. The government of Equatorial Guinea has been, has had a fairly good record on LGBT issues, or at least has it on the books, issue same-sex visas, has been, we have, as the U.S. Embassy, been able to program on those issues. Um, and so we are, and we are continue to be able to engage with civil society. It is not all terrible, but I'm going to continue pushing this rock uphill as my predecessors have done for a long time before me, but I'm hoping that this window of the need, the urgency to reform the business community, diversify the economy, and attract more uh, investment and engagement in other areas will give us that window to push forward. It's happened before in other countries, and hopefully we'll be able to make progress here. Well, that's that's uh, very helpful. Um, uh, Mr. Pascal, uh, the, the, the Gambia, the, this, this Truth and Reconciliation Committee, which I'm, I find a very uh, interesting. Uh, they've launched it. Um, they're going to examine, I guess, a lot of the disappearances that have happened, killings, uh, and other very troubling human rights issues. Um, and I and I wonder um, what your ideas, uh, because again, it also faces a lot of challenges. Such a committee, and I'm just not sure how successful they'll be, as we've seen in other models uh, in in the continent. Um, and will it really help uh, to balance the need for sort of justice for victims? Uh, uh, with uh, a lot of the resentment you find from towards the government. And so, um, uh, what, in your opinion, what are the realistic outcomes that we should expect from the, 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 the truth of the commission? Uh, thank you, Senator Booker. Uh, the TRRC, uh, they just swore in the commissioners last month. Uh, I think what's impressive, at least uh, people who are expert in the field of transitional justice have told me that the law that the... Uh, Gambian legislature passed is a really good, strong law. It's well-founded. Uh, unfortunately, as you know, we have a lot of precedent for these types of efforts, and so there's a, there are a lot of lessons learned. But it appears that, uh, that, that, frankly, they've incorporated a lot of those lessons learned, at least in the legislative framework that's going to guide their efforts. They, did, uh, they have been uh, working very hard to ensure that there's a lot of awareness. The commissioners have hit the ground running. They were sworn in, I believe it was the 15th of October, uh, they have already made a number of uh, requests of the government, uh, in particular, to provide assistance to uh, to victims who suffered physical uh, physical harm uh, in some of those abuses. What can we expect at the end? That's a great question, uh, and I think what's what's most important for us right now is to ensure that we are providing the support that we can provide uh, to uh, the operation, the TRC, and the active participation of the Gambian uh, people themselves. The, uh, civil society in particular to ensure that that process remains transparent, that it remains consistent with the very high goals that have been set, uh, and that what comes out of it is meaningful and does help move the country forward while accounting uh, for um, the many allegations and very well-documented cases of abuse that occurred previously. Thank you very much. And very quickly, um, to the indulgence of the chairman, um, uh, I, I, this is interesting just in Benin, almost 65% of the population is under the age of 25, which is, a, 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 the youth bulge is something we've seen throughout Africa as well as the Middle East. Um, and uh, Benin's total fertility has been falling over time, but still remains high. 
and uh, declining from almost seven children per woman in the 90s to now, I guess it's 4.8. Uh, uh, and so Benin's low contraceptive use and high unmet need for contraception contribute to what is still considered, I guess, a very high fertility rate. And, and just really quickly, what steps can the U.S. take or foreign assistance programming could really target um, the lar this large population in general? And how would you engage with uh, the country's authorities to encourage policy changes to address the challenges and opportunities associated with a youth bulge? Thank you for the question, Senator. As you point out, economic development in Benin has not kept pace with the growth of the population. And there is this demographic bulge of very young people who will be in need of jobs and are in need of jobs right now. And I believe that President Talon is very acutely aware of the need to diversify the economy and to attract and unlock private investment as an engine to drive the economy so that it will be able to create jobs for this youth bulge and for these this member members of the demographic bulge. So if confirmed, I would work uh, to support the government's efforts uh, to attract private investment and to diversify the economy, which is largely based on subsistence agriculture right now. And one of the programs that is underway aimed at doing that is our Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact, which is designed to remove one of the main constraints to more rapid economic growth and to improve the reliability and the capacity of the power sector, and also to provide a regulatory framework to attract private investment, independent private power operators. So uh, that's one example of an area where we, as the US government, are working to support the government and the people of Benin to promote economic development and to help the government and the people in their efforts to diversify the economy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you all. Thank you all for your preparation for this hearing. Thank the families as well for the sacrifice that you have made and will continue to make uh, for this service. And uh, thank you. The uh, hearing record will remain open until the close of business tomorrow, including for members to submit uh, questions for the record. And we'd ask the witnesses to respond as promptly as possible. Your responses will be made as part of the record. But before I close, I'll take the personal privilege to recognize my staffer here. Uh, Colleen Donnelly has been with me for over 10 years in the House and the Senate. This is likely the last uh, hearing that she has prepared me for. And uh, I just want to know, her to know how much I appreciate uh, her fine service uh, to me and to the committee and to the Senate. And uh, she will be missed around here. I have a feeling that she'll be doing more of this uh, for other members that are probably easier to work for. But uh, I, I appreciate that and thank you all of you for being here. Mr. Chairman, can I take a moment of personal privilege too? Uh, the hearing is officially almost over. I just think I would like to memorialize your last hearing with a selfie um, with them in the background. <laughs> 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 I, I want to give the ambassador nominees. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nothing's finished until there's a Booker selfie. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. With the thanks to the committees, the hearing stands adjourned. Awesome. <laughs>